And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Anybody hear me? There I am. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. We are live going to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook. Happy to have all of you here. If you are with us live, you can jump in the chat, join the conversation. If you are not live, uh, you can still leave us a comment. And as always, you can send feedback to live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. I read every email that you send. So, uh, so there is that. Uh, we are also available on a number of podcast platforms. And uh, yes, I'm seeing the lawsuit against SiriusXM about transcripts. And uh, we do have transcripts, I think, automatically generated by YouTube and Facebook both. So we're going to be looking into more of that as well. But we're on a number of different podcast platforms. You can find us over there. Uh, so, uh, so there is that. I want to thank Christopher Hoffman for filling in for me yesterday with his holiday horror topic while we watched The Matrix Resurrections. I can't say anything about it yet. <coughs> You're going to like it, I think. All right. So here we go. My guest today has been in the business for a while. And I, I, I became actively cognizant of his work and his skill through Longmire. Uh, but he has, uh, he has been in a number of genre pictures over the years, as well as westerns and police procedurals and a lot of soap operas. And he is here to talk about his work. Mr. A. Martinez is with us. Good morning, sir. Hey, Jason. Thank you for having me. Thank man. you for being here. Now, I guess the first place we go is cowboy bebop because that's the that's the thing that's out there now and uh, for good or ill after three episodes it gets canceled sort of unceremoniously and there are a lot of people who are upset about that a lot of people feel vindicated by that and you know there's that (laughs) there's that split in the fans but before I address that, I want to talk to you about how you got involved in Cowboy Bebop and and what the atmosphere was like on set because you guys are are adapting a beloved anime. It's got a very very strong passionate fan base. Right. What was that experience like on set? What kind of conversations were y'all having about that kind of thing? Well, we were we were um trying to keep stay focused on the work, obviously, but, um, you know, no, nobody could be unaware of, uh, what the stakes were given the, as you say, the beloved nature of the anime. It's, you know, a lot of people consider it a holy, um, exercise and I understand why. Uh, but we were, we were basically working on making the thing work in the moment and, uh, and the last thing that uh, our showrunner, Andre Nemec, was told by the creators when he went to Japan and, and supplicated, you know, actually asked, okay, how did you do this? What, what was the source material? And they, 
appreciated his sincerity to the point of sharing the books and the movies and the photographs that had inspired them when they were doing the original work. Uh, and the last thing he was told, now go make your show. So he was involved with the other people that were in the creative team in making their own show. And I, uh, I'll just say, um, I personally uh, love what we did. Uh, I, I, I guessed it in episode nine. They dropped all 10 episodes on November 19th. And I think it was 20 days later when Netflix ran the numbers and uh, ascertained that they weren't confident they would be able to keep making something with that budget right. uh, at the numbers they were seeing. And um, that, you know, that be that as it may, I'm extraordinarily proud of it. And I got to say, I'm also, um, well, hell, what's the word? I guess the best word to say would be sad, man. I'm sad. Yeah. For the people that uh, you know, we're in the we're in the heart of it. John Cho and uh, Daniela Pineda, um, the uh, the great Alex Hassel from uh, over in uh, in England, who came and played villain and got, you know, played the villain, played vicious, and um, Elena Satine, um, um, Mustafa Shakir. I, I think that. The work that those folks did in those roles and, and a whole myriad of the guest actors was extraordinary. It was a, a daunting task. Right. I, I can't imagine the nerve it took to actually step into that particular cauldron. But uh, Andre did, and he brought all those people with him, and I thought they did extraordinary work. And you can see, like any show that I've ever been a part of, you, you watch the growth of, of the experience. You watch everybody the writers, the people who shoot it, the people who go on the stage and stand in the light. You watch everybody find something early on and then start to go the path that is discoverable only once you have started. Yeah. So you could see, in my opinion, I thought the end of the season lifted off exquisitely. And uh, I'm really, really disappointed that uh, we're not going to get to do more of it, at least not with Netflix. Well, does the you mentioned Netflix running the numbers, and I think they've got about a sixty percent rate as far as things that they renew for additional seasons. And is there was there any discussion when you guys found out that there were that there wasn't going to be another season? Was there any discussion as far as audience reaction versus well maybe the marketing wasn't quite there was there any any factor that people pointed at that said well maybe we got this wrong or maybe people misunderstood this was there was there any one thing that stood out and said okay we could have done this different well um there were so many things that you could you could turn to and look at but i thought one one review, I read so many reviews, and one that stuck out in my mind was a, a guy, I'm not going to remember his name, but he said, um, you know, this this really was, if it hadn't been named Cowboy Bebop, this would have been a delightful show to spend time with. But the fact that it was named Cowboy Bebop meant that, meant that everyone who was familiar with Cowboy Bebop yeah. had to constantly be running this comparison. Well, or, you know, I don't want to say chose to. It's impossible once you have something in your mind not to, like, hold it there. But Well, and you know, with an became, adaptation, that challenge is even greater because there's already an established standard right. by which to measure and compare. 
Right, and that's the irony because they, they wouldn't have done this were it not for the fact that the anime was so beloved and so wildly popular all over the globe. So, you know, it's it just it is what it is. I think it was you can say, well, why do people do these kind of things? Yeah. But I'll say, um, knowing these people uh, deep deeply well, um, some of them, that the uh, the love of of Cowboy Bebop was that was where it started. I mean, obviously everybody's in show business, so we're looking for things to do. And you know, you try to you try to do something as often as you can that will be successful, so that you'll be allowed to do the next thing in the string. I mean, that's that's part of the game. But but at the end of the day, um, there was blood, sweat, and tears devoted to trying to honor Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. So I don't know what the what what you could put your finger on to say this was the thing that I saw I saw one uh, one or two comments out there that uh, basically took the position that the live action um, what's the best way to put this the the current year politics filter kind of there was this this sense that some of the some of the writers were trying to correct for some stuff in the anime. I don't know how accurate that characterization is, but you know, there were some people that were commenting that the live action may have changed too much in terms of some of the characters. Mm. Or, you know, you've got this this uh, other group that's, you know, why even why even make an adaptation of this thing over here when it holds up by itself? Not just Cowboy Bebop. I've seen this argument a lot of times. Why mm. are you why are you doing this remake? Why are you doing this reboot? Why are you you know, why are you going back to this well instead of coming up with something on your own? And something you said uh, kind of sticks with me there when you're talking about the the review that said if this had not been Cowboy Bebop, it would have been perfectly acceptable. And I remember thinking the same thing about Enterprise when it came out, Star Trek Enterprise, mm. uh, and thinking, you know, it's a perfectly serviceable science fiction piece, but it doesn't really feel like it fits into Star Trek in the time period where they're setting it as a prequel. Mm. Mm. And then you get this about Star Trek Discovery now. Uh, people have said that about The Last Jedi, and you talk about the polarization of fans. I mean, The Last Jedi is probably this one <laughs> yeah. thing. How yeah. how do you process, as an actor, as a performer, you're, you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears out there on the screen. You, there's a certain amount of vulnerability there, but you also have to have a pretty thick skin. So how do you process that kind of polarization when you've got people that absolutely love it, absolutely hate it, there's really not very many people in between, and a lot of it, just just from observation, kind of sitting here on the sidelines, a lot of it seems like if you like a certain thing or if you don't like a certain thing, I could probably tell you with about 95% confidence how people vote. Has politics mm -hmm. kind of seeped into everything to determine whether or not we like something? And, and what do you do with that? Wow. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Yeah, we've got yeah, an hour. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I love that we have an hour. Um, yeah, it's hard not to uh, to go there, not yeah. to default to. Well, okay, this this person is like going to say this because this is the value that they practice. You know, it's like the uh, just to jump back and say one thing. You know, the the, the the reason people do these reboots 
is because there is a torrent. There is a nonstop torrent of things being thrown in our face at all times. Yeah. Uh, as one director put it when we were talking about this movie we were making, you know, she, she said to me, boy, I hope this finds a way to cut through the noise. And that's what it comes down to is how do you get people to go, oh, I think I'll pick this out of these hundred things I could pick today. Um, okay, what makes that happen? And one of the things you, you hope to, um, to lean on is uh, accessing some sort of some sense of familiarity. Oh, this rings a bell, so maybe I'll try that. Uh, that's, I think, at the, at the heart of it. Uh, when, when it comes to how do you process the, um, you know, the people that say this is the worst performance, I mean, you know, as you say, you have to have a thick skin. Um, one thing uh, that I'll say about this business, as is true of so much of life, it will break your heart. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the, the willingness, you know, I think about this sometimes, what is it that causes people to want to get into the storytelling game? And, and I know in my own my own experience when I was very, very young, the first time I was, I was on a stage doing anything of import, when I felt the audience reacting at the end in a way that we had sort of dreamed it might be possible, and we were just kids, uh, it, was, it was transformative. And then backstage came these people who had been watching, and one guy who was in my family who was a particular, particularly heroic man in my, in my uh, fantasies, I could tell that he'd been crying and I just, uh, you go, oh, we were part of something that moved people, that caused, um, caused emotional uh, pleasure in the room. And it, 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 it's addictive. You, you want to be a part of that. You feel that there's something um, worthy in it implicitly. You feel that you're doing something worthy. Right. So you go to it to try to be, to try to give that, to try to tell the stories and be part of actually having people. It's like when I go, I go, oh yeah, thank God. Right. Oh, right. My life could be way worse. It could be that life. Right. So I, I can actually renew myself and go, get out of your head. Let go of this thing that's on you and remember that you could have it so much worse. I mean, to me, the, there's something holy about that. So that's what we're in the business of trying to do, I think, certainly with the business. That's the business I'm trying to be in. Yeah. So uh, when people say, you know what? Screw you, dude. That was like, you know, it, it feels bad. No. And you basically have to like go next. Question in the chat here, uh, Mazur says, one has to wonder with all the amazing amount of choices presented to us as a species, how are we processing it in different areas now? How do so many choices affect our focus? That's something we've talked about before on, uh, on the H2O podcast is this idea of having so many choices, that, that paralysis of choice. And, you know, the fact that we have so many things that are similar in nature whether it's, you know, toilet paper and breakfast cereal or TV shows and, and, and comic books or whatever, you suddenly get to this point where it's like, well, there's just so many, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and, and, and isolate myself and sit in my basement and, and close off to the rest of the world. Yeah. And we have so many now remakes, reboots over the last few years, sequels and requels and whatnot. Does that at some point start to have diminishing returns that maybe the original something 
sticks out a little bit more because it's not a remake? Mm. Are, are, yeah, have we reached that point yet, do you think? Well, you know, uh, I think s some of us have. I was just reading uh, Paul Thomas Anderson interview this morning uh, and where he was talking about the the fact that he, he's, he's okay with the fact that, you know, there's all these Spider-Man movies because the Spider-Man movies are probably the thing that's going to get people to go back into the theaters. And obviously the business, you know, for the, for the thing to really happen in the group, you know, we have to be willing to go back into the theaters. Yeah. Um, you know, God willing, let that happen. Um, but but I, I just, I think your point can be uh, extrapolated to include all of reality. I mean, yeah. we, are, we, we are just overwhelmed with information and made to feel guilty on some level, if we do choose to go and sit in our basement for a little bit of time. I remember being one of the last hold, holdouts. It's like the character in Longmire, the sheriff who wouldn't get a cell phone. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't get a cell phone and then I wouldn't get a smartphone. And then I just and then I wouldn't walk around with it attached to my arm. Yeah. And it, it caused so much disturbance in my social circles. It's like, dude, I texted you. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what is he? Is he got a beef with me? What did I do? What did I say? And the truth was, I was just situating my, you know, a couple of hours of my day where I might actually be alone with my thoughts. That was my crime. So, you know, the stress of that is, I think, we haven't even begun to measure it. And of course, then you jump into COVID and suddenly, uh, you know, there's a, there's a malaise that, that just, I mean, you see it in the streets every single day. You see it on the streets when you're driving. You see yeah. uh, the way people... Um, the way people treat each other in public, you know, sometimes lately, it's just the, the, the stress that we're all under from the amount of decisions we are required to make just to get through our day right now yeah. is off the charts. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how well we can we can get through it. How know. much? Some days you, mm. Yeah. How much stress uh, have you know, how much stress is the covid protocols? added to the set because you're now interacting with cast and crew in a different way and you've got the you've got your covid police staff there saying no 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 six feet you know back up back right. up Every, everybody is monitoring and you, you're all you're all under this watchful eye that didn't used to be there right right does that make it more difficult or are you able to kind of sideline that and not pay attention to it until it's right there in your face reminding you it's there well, the first thing I'll say is that I'm really grateful for it, having lost um, people close to me to COVID. I'm, I'm so grateful that not only are we uh, allowed to continue working right now, but that you know we're we're doing it in a way, in, doing it in a way that allows us to be as safe as possible. Acting is an intimate experience. You know, you you can't avoid that. If you're not willing to be intimate as an actor, you're you're really not allowed to continue. Yeah, I w I would hope, but. It depends on set to set. Um, we were so lucky in New Zealand because New Zealand uh, is down there in the bottom of the world and they're a little island. And when the thing hit, they, ha they have a progressive um, leader and she basically shut the country down and gave everybody money and protected the place. And in the time that I was in Auckland for two months, there were, there were four cases reported in Auckland of all the time. And those people only got sick because they were the guys who went and 
greeted the people coming in on the planes and managed the hotels and the quarantines. So they were exposed to people bringing it in. But the country was in, on, in, on top of it. And that allowed it to be the protocols we practiced on the set. The actors would sit in a little room by themselves. But we didn't have to have masks on. We could sit there and talk to each other like actors need to do. Yeah. And then we could we were accompanied to the set, and the set was vast and well ventilated, and you know you didn't feel you didn't feel worried there. When I was shooting uh, Ambulance, the Michael Bay movie, this was like when Los Angeles was spiking back in early part of this year, one of the many surges, and it was very tough. Um, uh, you know, you'd, you'd finish a scene, especially when things are challenging, when the scene is a hard one. My central scene in that thing was one of the more difficult things that I've ever been a part of shooting. And I, and it's the reason I wanted to do it. I just thought this is unforgettably special. And I don't even imagine how we're going to be able to do this, but it's going to be great if we can do it. And we did it. But while you're doing it, you know, you finish a take and your first instinct is to access one another's faces so that you can begin to ascertain how that worked for your colleague. Right. Yeah. You know, how did that land for you? Right. And instead, someone walks up and goes, where's your mask? And then your first thought is, OK, where did I hide my mask this time? Because you're on a set right. where there is no there's no place to walk. You know, it's like you have to put it somewhere, hide it somewhere. Where did I put it? And, and, and if you can't remember, then there's another, another mask in your hand. And, and the thing that you realize is you can't talk to each other until this event has been processed. And then you look up and what you get is this, right? Right. So it it was very, very difficult. And I, I, I've said this before, and, uh, and I'll say it again. Um, I was very appreciative on that set that uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal uh, took it upon himself to walk up to a couple of times when I was feeling pretty ambivalent about which way to proceed and just basically gave me his two cents in a very compact manner. And I, it was very, uh, very appreciative. So much of the things... So much of what goes on on sets or what goes on when you're in your garage making your own audition, which is what we all do now. Yeah. What goes on is you learn and you learn by doing it. And so when you're on a set, what you crave is feedback. You know, you want to know what is going on with the people you're working with. What, how is, what is the temperature of the experience? And, and you know, that's precious, and, it's, and COVID has made it a lot harder to access it, I'll say that. Now, you mentioned Gyllenhaal coming into you. He's, he's a younger actor. Do you ever, do you ever catch yourself, um, well, this is, this is some young kid. What does he know? He's not going to be able to tell me anything. Do you, do you ever catch yourself in that mindset? Or are you still able to just kind of open up to feedback from everybody and, and you know, wherever that comes from that I can learn something, that's where it comes from. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm real open. And, and, and of course, we all at this point in time have access to so much. We learn so much about people. You know, you walk into a set and you, um, you go, oh, that's Jake. And I know Jake because of this, this and this, right? Right. And I've, I've, I've heard him sing uh, Sondheim uh, on, on Instagram. I, you know, I've, I've watched him uh, on Brokeback Mountain. I watched him, you know, be the reporter that was, you know, just just like the parasitic reporter. I mean, you know, you just realize that, okay, this is a, this is a, he's a giant. He's, he's, he's got a genius and, and he's brave 
And at this point in time, he's become a profound uh, physical creature. And, you know, just everything about him is, uh, is, is compelling. And, you know, you feel, uh, you feel lucky to be around a guy like that. And I find, uh, you know, I work with some younger people um, on some other sh work I do, you know, some people that are really early in the journey. And I, I find myself um, very appreciative of the ones that are doing it in a way that I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a bit set in my ways. And I, I appreciate doing it the right way. I appreciate generosity of spirit on a set. I appreciate um, people being kind and, and being prepared. And when you see that in any person, whether they've just started or whether they, they're, um, they're down the road, you know, you appreciate it. You know, sometimes you see an actor that's really wildly experienced and you see that they're starting to let, let go. They're, they're starting to, um, to rest. They're showing up willing to rest. And of course, we all have to rest sometimes. It's like in, in any game, there's parts of the game where you've got to gather your forces for the big push at the end, right? right. But there's, sometimes you see actors that are kind of mailing it in and it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's disturbing to me to see that. But but generally, um, I, I feel that one of the greatest things about the career is that you get to be with other people who are willing to step into the light and do that thing I was talking about, where they're willing to actually get intimate and, um, and, and risk being uh, mocked and risk being disdained. And, and yet they're doing it anyway. You have credited Marcy Walker uh, a number of times talking about your your process and your journey as an actor. Uh, when you first started with soaps, you were kind of reluctant to do any kind of soaps. And oh, know, yeah. here we go, Santa Barbara, you get three nominations for Emmys. You win for Best Actor, I think, in 1990. Right. Uh, but you said that Marcy was a big... Uh, had had a lot of impact in your in your approach to all of that right exactly exactly i remember driving home one day on the freeway you know probably maybe i want to say six or eight months into it just driving home and just running the tapes of the day as as you as you always do and and i thought to myself oh my god i actually laughed today i actually laughed um i genuinely laughed i didn't i didn't plan it i didn't um you know, pretend to laugh. She she delighted me as as she was always capable of doing, and surprised me in a, in a moment when it, we weren't planning to have the scene go in that direction. And she just she just delighted me. And to have someone delight you um, when you're under the kind of pressure that we we were under making a soap, it's just such a miracle. I mean, you're making an hour show every single day. It's so difficult to get on top of that process. You have to remake yourself literally to do it. I mean, I, I almost couldn't do it. Many people try to do it and just can't do it. You have to literally learn to manage time and energy on a level that's, uh, there's just nothing like it. And, and you know, so much pressure, so much nervousness. I was always jacked up on caffeine and eating power <laughs> bars all day long. And then in the middle of all that, you know, this, this woman just like blows your mind and you get to just like let, you know, your true um, sense of delight shine through. So yeah, she was, uh, that's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me is, is to fall and have fallen into a working relationship with, you know, her particular genius. Does the the soap opera day to day to day to day approach did now that you've done this for so long, has that altered or affected how you approach the 
the weekly television series or the you know the mini series or the movie because you've got you've got more pages to shoot but you're taking more time in each scene because you've got multiple setups and you do lots of takes yeah yeah has your has your soap work affected how you approach everything else well uh, i think the main thing it did to me was it it sharpened me uh, it, you know it 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 taught me how to um learn a lot in a short amount of time. The, the technical uh, demands of, of working on stage in a soap uh, are different from the technical demands of working in, on, on film, what used to be called film, you know, nighttime TV or movies, where you're shooting pieces and you're shooting piece and piece and piece and then, then stringing, stringing it together later in the editing. Whereas in, on, uh, on soaps, or I guess on some sitcoms, actually, come to think of it, you're shooting it live and it's being cut live as you do it. And basically, it's much more akin to being on stage in a theater where, you know, what, what happens is going to happen once and you, and you can write it. If something surprises you, as, as is, was often the case working with Marcy, you can write that. You know, you're not, you're not beholden to what I did uh, in, in the master shot, you know, in the two shot I have to, you know, scratch my nose at the same time so the editor doesn't get screwed and stuff right. and you know i was i was way too cognizant of that way too um yeah i guess cognizant of that when i started i i, I really really spent way too much energy in my estimation now spending making sure that i was consistent in what i did so that it would be easier to edit what you finally come to learn is that you know the the best performances are are ones that again find that spontaneity as you will find on stage and and write it and you know let the editor figure it out as they go <laughs> you know don't like take care of the editor at the expense of being spontaneous mm -hmm. so uh but i'll say the, the the greatest thing about it is it taught me how to learn things quickly and to understand what mattered mo most in any given text you know wh what was what is the beat that has to be honored wh where do you build from I had an interesting experience doing the doing the Queen of the South um, that 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 reminded me of of how that had helped soap helped soaps helped me. I was I went to the table read. I had the the best scene in in the thing from the reason I fell in love with with playing this character who was a psychopathic sheriff. The reason I fell in love with him is he had a he had a scene where he talked about you know, how he came up in his, his early days, and he sort of revealed the source of his illness. And he went on this little walkabout where he was, he was looking up at the surveillance cameras that he'd been responsible for installing in the town. And he had these beautiful kind of odd, spaced out, surreal kind of things to say about it. And I just loved that scene. And I went to the table read, and we're there, you know, and I'm I'm showing up with my script that I've had for a couple of weeks and I've got all these notes. I've broken it down and I've been working on it. And, you know, this this document I'm never going to let go of because once the notes go into it, it's too precious to like right. let it go to the new pages they keep giving you. You know, yeah, this is the right. document that has the marks. So I'm in there and I do this this scene and the scene killed. I mean, people loved it. You know, they they laughed. They loved it. It was just but what I forgot was. When you sit down at the table read, there's now a green version of the script. 
And so there's already been a rewrite. And I'm so into my white pages and doing this thing, right? And then every, every, every new color of page that comes out, I'll take the new pages and slip them in and then transfer my marks and stuff. And I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm keeping the original stuff. Come the day we're going to shoot that scene. It's, it's dusk. And they have purposely broken. We did a short lunch, lunch at dusk. And we're going to go and sit in the car. And my character and Alicia's character are going to sit there and talk and say this scene. And what they want to get is the sun sinking behind her head. They want the light of the sunlight to come through her hair. They planned the scene all day to be shot in that golden few moments. Right. right? So... So I'm, we've done lunch and I, you know, I'm at the chair and I pull my script out and I'm getting ready to do this scene that is the scene that, is, that I've been waiting for all this time. And, and Alicia walks by me, thank God. And she said, oh, you have the wrong script. <laughs> oh, no. and, and I went, oh, oh, oh. And the moment she said that, I remembered that green script, which luckily I still had in my backpack. I just had never, ever actually looked at that scene because i'd done that scene in the room and and i look at it and the scene is completely rewritten oh my i had about a hundred yards to walk from from the place where i was at my chair to the car parked by the side of the road with the cameras all set up and waiting waiting for the sun to go down behind her head and in that hundred yards i learned that scene Mm. and that was that was the soap opera actor in me. It's not the kind of scene that you can actually, you know, piecemeal your way through and, you know, screw it up five times and pick it up. You know, the sun is going down now. Yeah. You've got to shoot it now. And I, I mean, had not had I not been uh, a soap opera actor uh, on so many hours of my life, I never would have, would have been able to do that. So that was like a grace of the gigs. Well, and you have a fan there, Stephanie, in the chat saying, hi, I've been watching you since Santa Barbara. So, uh, and and a lot of people are going to know you from the soaps and some people are not because, you know, depending on the audience. Uh, And I want to get into what I, what I could describe as the resurgence of your career, but it's not really because you've been working this whole time, but I want to get into things like Longmire and, and Cowboy Bebop. And now suddenly you're, you're, it seems to be everywhere but we're gonna we're gonna take a real quick break so i i can tell google where to put the ad to interrupt us and then we'll <laughs> we'll continue with a martinez on the other side of this stand by everyone this is sci-fi for me radio hi everyone jason hunt here inviting you to join us every saturday for news science fiction fantasy and horror headlines from the week Plus, interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. Every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, my guest, A. Martinez, hey. who has been around for a long while, but some of you might have found him, discovered him, as Jacob Nighthorse in Longmire. And I have to say that 
not being a big, uh, let me turn that off there, that's noisy, uh, not being a big fan of anything outside of science fiction. That's when, that's mostly my wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, but when Longmire came on, I thought, oh, we'll check this out and take a look because Katie Sackhoff was in it. And I thought, well, uh, we'll just see what, mm. what is. And, I, and I'm sure that a lot of Battlestar Galactica fans migrated over to find this. But it is an excellent series. And your turn as Jacob Nighthorse was just nothing short of brilliant. I thought the, the, mm. the depth that you brought to that character, because it's easy to paint him as the villain. But you never did the obvious mustache twirling mwahaha type of thing. You could tell that Night Horse was motivated by, I'm going to protect my people. I'm not a bad guy. I'm a bad guy, you know, compared to the system. But in my world, I have a cause. And, And you could tell that Night Horse was working toward that end Sometimes it gets crossways with everything else and can be a villain in the traditional sense. But the way you portrayed that character, there's a certain amount of nobility to him. At the same time, he's being fairly ruthless. Hmm. Was there a a conscious, okay, this is the bad guy, but I'm not going to play him as a bad guy. What were your, what was your approach going into that character? Well, I think the, the most important thing to say about it is that, you know, I was the beneficiary of this exquisite writing. Uh, toward the end, it was almost, you, you, it, would almost it was almost palpable. The, the, the degree to which the, the creative people behind the show, um, Grish Shepard, uh, Hunt Baldwin, toward the end, John Coveney, really, and on all the writers and stuff, they, they, were, they were intent on, on, you know, carving a path that was very difficult to sum up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's always about the writing. And that writing was so exquisite. I, 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 I felt, you know, it, it, it worked for me. I think it was a really good match for my sensibilities as a person. You know, I'm a very, very decent guy. I, I practice the golden rule. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm empathetic, I'm generous, but I'm also, I'm, I'm, I have a, a, a fairly large helping of rage in me. You know, I'm, 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 I'm rageful about the, um, the amount of random, reckless cruelty that is visited on people by other people. Uh, especially when it's visited by people who who have so much, so deep, their blessings are so deep. Mm. The amount of unconscionable arrogance that's practiced uh, amongst us really gets under my skin. <laughs> so I was a good man to play that dude. Yeah, and uh, and they knew it. I got to say, they knew it. Uh, you know, I've 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 been uh, aware of Greer Shepherd for so many years. I, I have people that that um know her and 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 have worked with her and and they would always say she she knows about you eh? and she she has good thoughts about you and i tried out for shows that she was running multiple times and never got a never got arrested never got a gig but she she when this came she understood that this was something that would be special for me and i i i just gotta say man you know the the like I went to Standing Rock in, uh, in 2016 when the show had been on for two or three years. 
And, uh, you know, what a character like that and the other characters in Longmire. Longmire did a stunningly wonderful job of giving indigenous people like a, a platform. Yeah. That's Craig Johnson, the, the, the writer, the, the novels, you know, the, the second character in all the novels is Henry Standing Bear, the character Lou Diamond Phillips played. I mean, that that character is a gift from the heavens. And so, you know, to, to actually go amongst the people who are once again being stepped on by the oil company that, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, we, we didn't mean to, to say we were going to put this this pipe carrying, you know, 900,000 gallons of oil under the Missouri River every day. We, we didn't mean to say we were going to put it where all you people in Bismarck live. We didn't want to, our bad, sorry. Mm -hmm. We're going to, we'll reconsider. We're going to go down the river to where the Indians live, to where Sitting Bulls people live. We'll put it under the river next to where they're, get, they're drinking water. And they can make the same arguments you all made here in Bismarck, and we will just step on their face. And that's what happened. So, so to, to, to go to Standing Rock and to have the people there go, oh, Longmire, and go, thank you for Longmire, yeah. right? That, that's what's real. And I, I, I got to say, man, um, uh, it, it was such a privilege uh, to get entrusted with being a part of that. And even on, you know, you'd work four months a year and then eight months a year, you're looking for another job. And, and, and I would wake up some mornings in the, in the off season and, you know, just wake up and go, Oh, what's going, you know, what's going on today. And then I would go, Oh, I'm on Longmire. And my whole day would like brighten up instantly. Right. right. So that was a gift. Now. And, and you mentioned, you mentioned the, the relationship between Longmire and Henry and it could very heavy. It could easily have gone, Long Ranger, uh, Lone Ranger Tonto type of thing in the dynamic, but Henry does every bit as much holding Longmire to account, mm -hmm. and and sitting there saying, "You're being an idiot on this. You you're you can't you can't do that. You can't say that." It was it was there was a lot of checks and balances there, right? And Night Horse almost to me feels about the same way with in terms of of you know Longmire expects him to be up to something you know whether yeah. he is or not you know and, and right. you talk about you know the dynamic between those two characters night horse is up to something but his motivations might not necessarily be what longmire ascribes to him in, in, you know because of the point of view the various different aspects and and that does get into you know on the reservation versus off and a lot of that you have uh, Native American heritage yourself, as, as well as as uh, you know, you've got that Latino Native and American mixed, mix. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. how much of a Martinez is in Jacob Nighthorse? Yeah, that that's you know, I I can't give a, a, a like a precise answer, but I'll just say a lot. You know, a, a lot. You know, I think the. Again, the combination of, you know, I, I, I live my life, uh, it's, you know, I grew up around people that were church going, you know, preachers and Sunday school teachers, you know, it's imperative in my life that I live, I live with decency. It's imperative, you know, I, I, I play straight, sure. but I'm, I'm pissed off. So, so it was a great match. And I'll say too, man, um, Rob Taylor, and this is before I found Jacob when I was when I was just looking for him 
I had a scene, uh, it was sort of, it was my debut episode. The, the, the first thing I did, uh, it was the audition scene actually, got cut for time in episode two, I think, or something. But in, in episode five, where they introduced me, the, the dog soldier, I, I was still looking for him. And I, and I went into a, to the office um, to play the scene with Rob where Jacob says, you know, to play, you know, Jacob's telling the sheriff, you know, if these were white kids being kidnapped, yeah. you'd be all over it. But because they're native, you're letting it go, right? You know, just basically accu accusing him of racism to his face, right? And, you know, and he and he's like, oh, here he is, politic. And, and I've just, Landhorse has just been out in the town square trashing the sheriff, right? So, so you know, there's no love lost from the get. And, and yet I said something in the speech, I forget what it was now, I said something in the speech that he chose to let in. And when his Walt allowed himself to go, oh, that sounds true, something changed in his eyes. You know, you're right up against somebody, you know, are they there or are they pretending to be there? Right. And, and he, it was like his endocrine system was wired in to what is true and what is not. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, oh, ho, 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 dude, you know, you're that good. Okay. And, you know, I, you know, eventually we got to the point where we were, we were, uh, we had a bond between us in the scenes, especially the ones that he liked to, to describe as the ones we distilled, um, where, where you could just, cut it with a knife. It was so strong, but so subtle, sometimes so quiet, so precise, and just so fraught with, uh, with energy. I, it was a, a privilege to work with that dude in that relationship. Well, an and amazing man. Yeah. That kind of, that kind of scene, that kind of dyna dynamic, uh, requires a great deal of trust between the performers too. I mean, you can go out there and, and, you're basically going out on a limb and you're hoping that he's, he's going out there with you because, you know, if, if the response, if the relationship, if the, that dynamic isn't actually there when you think it is, hmm. you know, suddenly you just kind of left hanging. You're like, okay, <laughs> no. now where do I go from here? Um, yeah, yeah. the, the, you mentioned the rage. I want to, I want to go back to that for just a second because so much of our conversation nationally, internationally, there's, there's a lot of social media. There's a lot of, you know, everything's, everything's pumped up, dialed to 11 and break the switch off because of the social media algorithms and everybody's getting radicalized. You're seeing all of this stuff fed to you and all of this. And there's a lot of talk about the culture war being being on a on a thing and you have the the politicians versus the citizenry. I mean there's all sorts of this us versus them dynamic out there. Mm -hmm. Do you think and and your activism and and that kind of involvement in those movements I think probably gives you a little bit sharper perspective on this than what I than what I've got. Does it feel more like a culture war is going on or a class war? Well, I don't think you can you can uh, divorce the two. And um, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, yeah. I just I had a friend of mine say, you know, yesterday was the anniversary of the murder of Sitting Bull. And I 
and had a friend of mine reach out, and I literally haven't had time to address it. But she said, "Well, why why was he killed by by Indian police? Why was he killed by you know his own blood? What was that?" Right. Yeah. And of course, the story that you that it comes into my mind that needs to be told is you know why uh, why are uh, poor people all over the globe compelled to take up arms and go to places that are distant to them that they they don't know anything about and they go there for the purpose of killing other poor people and why is that and basically uh you know at the end of the day you can say well you know we're going there to, to protect freedom or we're going there to vanquish you know the they taught in, in Russia, you know, when I was a kid that, you know, the, the the Americans are trying to, you know, take us over and ruin us. And we were taught that the Russians want to come and drop a bomb on us. And, you know, we're, 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 we're conditioned to understand that we have mortal existential enemies and we really need to, you know, go, go kill them to protect grandma down the street. Sure. And, you know, the degree to which that is true is, is a subject of a lot of debate. But what's not debatable is that at the bottom, of, at the end of all of this, are the interests of powerful people, of powerful means, that are playing a whole game of, of chess that is on a level that most of us can't, we don't participate in, let alone even perceive particularly well. So we are convinced that we need to go and do that. And that's going on all the time. And that is about class. That is about, you know, maintaining advantage and so much cruelty. And of course, I get that it's human nature to want to hold on to your advantages. You know, we're all uh, intent on trying to, you know, stay safe and alive and hopefully push our DNA into the future. Some of us still care about that. But the, but, but the thing is that uh, you, you, can't, you can't get away from the fact that that's at the center of it. And, mm. and, the, and the other thing that, and of course, very, very powerful people are intent on making us believe things that aren't true for the sake of having, um, having our, our support. And, and the thing that even goes to me, I try to remember this, we're uncomfortable with uncertainty. We don't like to not understand. Right. We don't like to, to not be sure about what's going on. You know, that incredible play and then that movie Doubt that, uh, that was uh, that uh, Shanley Shanley did the that created it it, it hits it in the, on the nutshell it, it hits it on the head it's 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 imperative that that we actually learn to be comfortable with uncertainty because in uncertainty we get to keep asking questions and if we stop asking questions once we default to belief we don't have to think anymore. And that's what's going on all over the place. We don't right. want to think. So we, okay, this is what I believe. These are the set of principles that I'm going to line up behind. And, the, you know, the rest of it is, you know, I, I, I don't have time, energy, or will to deal with that. So does that's that, a problem. Does that also factor into something like you look at uh, um, the the pandemic, the lockdowns, and, and this big push for the vaccines as opposed to, uh, here, let me let me uh, my view there. There you go. There's every now and again we get a little bit of noise in the signal. I think my internet box is going out. But mm. when you have this big push for one narrative, you know that whole you know trust the science and everything, and we're not allowed to talk about 
uh, alternate therapies or, you know, just getting out in the sunlight for vitamin D and exercise and, and maintaining your weight. This this big push for these for these things. And the stigma that's now coming to, you know, the the people who have not gotten a vaccine versus the people that have and the questions that are still raised as far as adverse effects and whatnot. Are we looking at a power play here? Does it feel like this is one of those things like you're talking about where you have the people that are in power, who have power, who are doing whatever they can to maintain that power? Does it feel, do you, do you get any kind of sense of that? I mean, not to get too deep in the weeds here right here at the end of the hour. No, but, no, I think this is imperative. Yeah, does no, that, I, I, does it feel like to you that, that we're not being allowed to have those conversations for whatever reason? Well, I think I would I would counter and say I say we are being allowed to have those conversations. It's true that a, a price is is being extracted, but a, you know a price is being extracted from everything. Every single uh, decision you make, you can run through a cost and benefit analysis, and you, you know there's 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 energy on both sides. Yeah. Um, I, I I again uh, you know the, the the uncomfortable nature of uncertainty. Um, I, we we. Um, you know the the fact that that there is a you know I am I'm, I'm thankful that there exists a deep state, I'm thankful for that. You know I like the idea that there are institutions that are in place, ideally to promote the values that were that were set forth at the beginning of this country. Well, it's true that when we said all men are created equal, we didn't mention women, we didn't mean black people. You know, the Indians couldn't raise their own kids with certainty until 1985. So, you know, you know, it, it was it was fallacious. There was it was a lot of fallacy in it. But the ideals of it are exquisite, in my opinion. Sure. So I'm down for let's protect the ideals that 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 built America. But, you know, there's a difference between the 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 guys who uh, are are trying to run every trick in the game to keep the the coffers full at the at the top of the government the people that are corrupt and have sold out and just all just want as much corporate money as they can get there's a difference between them and the people that have devoted their lives to science i know some people that are scientists that basically have have given up more than most of us can ever imagine in terms of all the the kind of hanging out and, and, and screwing around that, that we love to do. I mean, I was the king of screwing around and hanging out for all the years before I became a soap opera actor. But these people didn't do that. Yeah. They kept going to school and kept working and busting their ass. And they are profoundly honorable people as, you know, if you're going to make a generalization about their, the class of them. I mean, they're, they're subject to some some uh, things that that force them to make decisions that are questionable sometimes but they're decent strong super super worthy people and i literally uh i have friends friends of mine actor friends of mine who have been fired from uh, their gigs because they wouldn't get va vaccinated and you hear the things they say and sometimes you know the, the idea i'm not going to be a prisoner of the woke left yeah and i will just say some of us on the left had no choice but to be woke because we were born in a way into a life that said, oh, the things that you're hearing in school don't necessarily apply to you. So you better wake up. 
you know, we didn't have the choice to like decide to be woke. We had to like wake up at the beginning to be able to figure out how to play this. Yeah. You're getting you're getting the side of it. You're getting the side of it all the time instead of the thing that that is d d described. So when I hear people say that, people that I know and like and have worked with and respect, I think, dude, come on. You know, you're just you're you're being lazy. You're not thinking this through. You're casting yourself as a man of principle because you're going to be for medical freedom and this and that. The you know I mean I deep dive my ass off on this stuff. Um, you you cannot argue with the numbers. Sure, some people get hurt in any of these campaigns. You know there are some people that'll have a bad reaction to it, and this bad thing you might get the lining of your heart upset. There might be all these things that could happen, but the numbers that get saved because you're willing to take that risk. You're willing to actually, you could just sit in your home and not do it, but you're willing to go get the shot and take the risk. And because you do, there's all these people who you'll never know, never meet, will never be attributable to the fact that it was you were a part of making them stay alive. But that's the truth. And, now, you know, I, I got no patience with like, you know. The counter to that, is there a concern when you get policies that say, if you if you haven't gotten the vaccine, you you don't have access to fill in the blank movies restaurants whatever does that does that take us backwards and and make us a little bit more segregationist in our mentality I and mean, is that a danger to, to well, I think that it, that goes yeah. too far yeah no i think it, it definitely uh, it, it it definitely um draws the lines harder but i don't see I literally, I cannot see an alternative. You know, one of the things that we just conveniently ignore so much of the time, even though there, there's a big publicity thing when when a, something is uh, something is um, more easily transmittable than Delta comes up, like Omicron came up. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you know, we are we are playing Russian roulette. You know, 18% of the healthcare industry has quit. We we are. The longer this game, the longer this thing gets to keep get, keep rotating, the greater the chances are that they will of a variant of it will come out that that we can't deal with that literally completely evades the vaccines. I mean, you know, we're, the idea that the vaccines still work against what what we have now that that's lucky. We're lucky. Mm -hmm. This is not you know. This is not just well, the way it has to be. Now it's just going to like fade. It'll be fine. You know, it'll turn into a cold. It may, but it may not. And yeah. when you literally leave millions and millions of places for the thing to keep flowing and flowing and flowing, you're just saying, well, you know what? I'm going to take my chances that something like that will never happen. Mainly, I'm not even going to think about it. And I just think, I mean, what are the alternatives to go, okay, We'll join you. We'll all just think about it and see what see how it works and see what'll go on. Uh, you know, I got people in my family that have to go in the hospital right now to do serious things, right? And they're they're basically getting in in under the the, the wire, so to speak, and before elective surgeries are now going to be. Um, and these aren't really elective surgeries; they're they're critical surgeries, but they're not about COVID. Right. And you can see that that the, the system cannot endure. Uh, that there's been a tremendous toll on on the system. I mean, all these hundreds of thousands of people have died in our country and millions around the world. And it's not, you know, to, to say, 
you know, we, we don't want to, it's, a, it's wrong to make policies that make some people feel that they are apart from other people. What is the alternative? I don't see it personally. Now, as, as a celebrity, you've got a certain amount of notoriety and you have brought that to bear on, on certain issues and, and policy questions and debates like, you know, going up to Standing Rock and, and dealing with the pipeline and such. Do you feel an added layer of responsibility? Because everybody has the opportunity to get involved in protest movements or debates or that kind of thing. But then you have the added the added component there where people know who you are. Like you, you were talking about people recognizing you from, Law, from Longmire. Do you have any, any additional sense of responsibility to try to get it right when you, when you get involved in any kind of a, a movement or a, a, or a debate or anything? Well, I, yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I, I feel, um, you know, the, the feeling I think that is that, you know, I, I don't understand the idea that uh, as you become an elder, uh, that you, you don't shoulder some added responsibility. I think that's what keeps um, a tribe, a society, a culture whole is that, you know, the elders have to um, step into a new role as they get older. And I think that the, the, the of course, our culture has, has, you know, diminish the value of, of years and wisdom and aging, you know, has become, you know, sort of mocked in the, in the, you know, the obsession with youth that we practice. But, uh, but that's understandable, because, you know, youth is where the promise of life lives. But, but, you know, it's, it's imperative that uh, for the culture to be healthy, that the people who have been around the longest and experienced the most share what they've learned. I mean, to me, that's a no-brainer, yeah. and I and I feel compelled to do that. I am I am a blessed person. There is there is hardly anyone I've ever met more blessed than me. And for me to like go well, you know, I'm just going to go over here and you know keep cranking the margaritas. I mean, you know, there's a piece of me that wants to do that, but I would feel um, I would feel sh ashamed of myself. You know, I watched my grandfather, you know, preach when I was seven years old, you know, and I understood the value of telling the truth and difficult truths uh, in front of a congregation. You know, I understood the value of it even before I could barely understand what he was saying. And I saw my father treat everyone the same, whether they were like someone of power that had effect on his career or whether they were some guy on the street trying to get uh, five hours of, of paid labor at 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. You know, he treated everybody the same. I, I, you know, heard stories my mom had said about, you know, during the Depression, when, when their family had nothing, people would still come and knock on their back door because they knew that my grandma would find something to give them. And, you know, that's, that's how I was raised. So I can't, you know, you know, stop talking and trying to be uh, sharing uh, what I've learned uh, at this point in my life, I, I, I so recalled Michael Jordan saying, I love that, that, that if you ever saw that Michael Jordan thing that ESPN did where they did 10, 10 episodes of Michael Jordan's career in life. You know, his motto early on is, you know, I'm not going to talk about politics because Republicans buy sneakers too. Right. You know, the fact of the matter is, and he came off of that finally, you know, George Floyd pulled him off of that. But, but I got to say, 
and I'm, I don't make any bones about this, you know, I am all the time now, uh, every single day, reading the thoughts and advice of Republicans. You know, I am all on those guys that are, that are still functioning uh, as, as citizens, uh, you know, with, with a, the consciousness of citizens who are still trying to, like, tell the truth about stuff. You know, we may have differences, but I'm going to tell the truth about what I think should be, as opposed to just lie for the sake of, right. you know, fooling people that don't know better. So I'm not about, you know, I'm only this or I'm only that. I'm, 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 I'm attending these Republicans and I'm promoting them and I'm honoring them. And, and it's not about left and right. It's about being someone who's willing to, to tell the truth, to, to dwell in, un, in uncertainty when uncertainty is called for to keep asking questions and um i don't know i'm just doing the best i can it is yeah. tough yeah well and and i heard uh i heard a, a podcast you were doing an interview and you talked about being in the moment as as part of your approach to the, to your work and such and i would think that probably is a is a philosophy that can apply elsewhere as well and, you know, whether you're going to share, you know, if that's something that you're sharing with other people, being in that moment, you know, where you're fully focused and you're actually paying attention to the people in the room, the people that are there with you, uh, I think has a lot of value that people maybe younger might take for granted. Mm, mm. You know, it's because yeah, you know, everybody's know. thinking about all of this other stuff, big picture. Just be in the moment. Just be right there and be present in whatever it is that you're doing. I think there's there's a great a great value to that. I think. Yeah, beautifully said. I totally agree. And I and I and I feel um, you know I'm a parent of uh, three children, and uh, you know I, I've watched them have to come of age as the culture evolves so far beyond what it was like when I was uh, starting off, and. It's a lot tougher, and again, we've we've talked about this. The just the sheer amount of of, of information that's coming at us. The you know the you know the, the we're being asked to make decisions about things constantly, yeah. and and you know there's it, there's just no rest in it. And and I I find it um, I still do it. I got to say I I I really try to um, keep myself um, uh, distant from my cell phone. I don't. I don't. I want to be able to um, spend time uh, with my thoughts, and and I I try to encourage my kids to do that too. And it's it's just harder than it's ever been, but yeah. it's still necessary, I think, to be mentally healthy to actually spend time quiet and be with your moment, be in the moment. I mean, what is happening right now? It's one of the reasons I think people. Uh, uh, you know, want to take uh, psychedelics. You know, or mm -hmm. want to get high. Want to you know just just want to like tweak their consciousness they just want to do something to like you know get out from under the burden of all this stuff that they're being asked to deal with constantly it's yeah. it's understandable <laughs> it is and you know i i look at stuff and i think well maybe it gets worse before it gets better but i latch onto that one part that it's going to get better at some point it has to mm -hmm. so you know mm -hmm. I, ha I hang on to that do you know the band dawes that band dawes i've heard of them i don't know that i've ever heard anything from them they're so phenomenal and I have a vested interest because I, their daddy uh, has a band that my family's involved with, but I just got to hear an, an advanced, um, advanced uh, version of their new record that's coming out. I think it's their seventh record coming out. D-A-W-E-S, Dawes. And the first song 
on that record uh, broke me down. It had me crying uh, because, you know, they say, uh, you know, no matter how crazy and bad all this has gotten, you know, find the one thing that you can say that's uh, that's positive. And if you can think of a joke, share the joke. Yeah. And, you know, just reminding us to um, not give in to that sense of despair that is, I think they use the word despair. I think they rhymed despair with share. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, not give in to the sense of, um, of catastrophe that is being sort of blipped at us, pulsed at us constantly yeah. and find that thing to say, cause there, you know, we can almost all find it. If you just can remember, Oh, things could be worse. I could be dealing with that instead of this set of problems I've got to deal with. Yeah. And, and I think, and they do it beautifully, so I, yeah. I recommend that. Okay, I'll, I'll match your recommendation with one of my own. Did you catch uh, the the latest album from Huey Lewis in the News that came no. out last year? He's got no. a track on that that broke me down a little bit because, you know, he's been dealing with losing his hearing and all of this stuff. But this yeah. track basically is him saying, I'm not done yet. And it's oh. it's a very powerful track on that on that album. And a lot of that stuff they recorded a number of years back. But this mm. one, he's like, "I'm not done yet. We're we're not finished." And I think mm. I I think it's it's a philosophy that can be applied a lot of different places. You know, mm. we're not done. There are still there are still things to do. There's still successes to be won. And you know, there may be a hill to die on, but you're dying for something that's that's worth it. So yeah, it's one of those beautiful, things. Right? Beautiful. I will find that. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, and, and, you know, talking about being in the moment, our moment is up. We've gone, we've gone our hour, but I definitely would love to have you back anytime. You are more than welcome to join us here. Uh, talk about whatever your next project is. I know with ambulance coming out here soon, I think, I I think the release date's been moved to April now, I think. Yeah. 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 Vote of confidence. I would hope. So we will definitely have you back for, uh, talking about that and, and maybe we'll talk about WizKids. Because I didn't oh. get to talk about that. <laughs> Matthew Laborto. Yes, yeah. that was that was something I was looking through and was like, oh yeah, he was on that. All right. Oh, so yeah. A Martinez, you can find him on Twitter, A Bone Martinez. This is correct, right? This is officially you, yes? Yep, yeah, it's me. Oh, okay. Yeah. And also on Instagram. Are you on any other social media platform, any website? I mean, you you talk about being away from your phone. Yeah, no, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm also Abo and I tried to join as A Martinez and they wouldn't recognize me as a name. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll try Bone because that's my dad's nickname for me. And, and then I was in. So now I'm Abo on, on social media just because Facebook insisted that yep. A wasn't enough. And we have uh, those links in our show notes. And uh, uh, that's going to do it for us today. A Martinez, thanks very much for being here, sir. Thank you, Jason. Such a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. All right. And thanks to everybody else, all of you for being here in the chat and the comments you can leave here whether you're live or not in the email address for feedback live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com and tomorrow we've actually got another episode uh ryan Carnes will be our guest talking about his uh acting career he's in a new christmas movie on hulu so we're gonna be talking to him <clears throat> and then of course we've got good morning multiverse on saturday morning if you're brand new to the channel, uh, feel free to subscribe. Have your notifications turned on. We are happy to have you. And I do read all of the email if you want to send us a suggestion for a topic or a guest to invite. 
And we will do this all again next year. After this week, we're going to be taking breaks. So uh, be back with us. In the meantime, check out all the rest of the videos. Feel free to share. Leave us a thumbs up on your way out. And remember a couple of things here. We're all human. We all bleed red. So have a little patience for those people who disagree with you. And always remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 